<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hi everyone, welcome to Joe's Weather World, your only weather podcast dedicated to Kansas City. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the second part of our podcast dedicated to all things flooding. It's a subject that, as I mentioned in the first podcast, I, I, I don't like uh, covering this stuff on television because I think it's, it's far more complex than what um, I could throw out in terms of river stages. And I just find it to be very challenging. Gary Frank and I talk about this all the time, how to best communicate flooding information in the television world and I struggle with it I'll be honest with you we're always trying to figure out a new and different way of communicating flooding information we in the previous podcast uh, was visiting with Scott Watson he's a hydrologist with the National Weather Service and we were talking about the setup in 2019 that led to the devastating floods along the Missouri River Basin from uh, central Missouri all the way on up through northwestern Missouri and the, the tragedy that unfolded uh, even further north into the upper Midwest, Nebraska, the Dakotas, because of all the crazy weather that we saw back in 2019. Scott is joining us again for this particular podcast, and um, now I want to kind of focus our attention into 2020, what we've got perhaps coming our way for this particular spring. And uh, to be fair, we're recording this podcast in early March, uh, the weather forecast looks um, very mild, at least through the middle of the month. I think that's pretty much set in stone. Uh, from after that, we'll see what happens. But, um, Scott, we, we talked about earlier some of the contrasts to what we saw last year to what we're seeing this year. In a nutshell, let's talk about that again. Um, how do you feel that things are a little different in 2020 this spring compared to what we were seeing leading up to the devastating flooding last year? Yeah, the, the big difference looks to be the cold weather compared to the warm weather that we have this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, we had an extensive area across the central and northern plains that we had frozen ground, deep frozen soils. We had extensive snowpack. Uh, this time last year, A lot of Nebraska had snowpack that had one to two, maybe three inches of water locked up in it. Uh, In the eastern Dakotas, you had even more. You had anywhere from three to seven, three to eight inches. Uh, Just on top of that frozen ground, just kind of waiting to be triggered for flooding. Now this year, there's still some snowpack across the eastern Dakotas. It's, It's actually melted quite a bit this week, so... I'm going to say there's anywhere from two to maybe five inches of water, but it's in a smaller area than a much smaller area than last year. And there's virtually no snow cover across Nebraska and in Kansas. So that's a good thing. It's a good thing. So, so in a sense, and, and as you kind of detailed there this year, at least the setup is different. 
Uh, we'll see what the it end result different. is going to be, but at least the setup is different. And it could be very down the road. That could be a very important difference, right? Yeah, there still is a setup for pretty widespread flooding this mm -hmm. year because even though we don't have the snowpack or the frozen ground, we do have very moist soil almost across the entire Missouri Basin from our local area all the way up through the Dakotas and into Montana, Wyoming. So if we get heavy rains on top of that, a lot of that's going to run into the Missouri River system. So we'll just have to watch and see how this weather pattern develops. And so from a Missouri River system point of view right now, uh, in early March, um, is the river running higher than it was last year? Is the river running lower? I think the river is probably pretty similar to last year. Okay. Uh, it's in the normal to above normal uh, range right now. It just kind of depends on where you're at. Um, I was looking at some of the maps earlier this week, and, you know, if you average it out, it looks pretty close to the same. But okay. it's, it's, it's on the above normal range. Okay, so the river is still running. It's not as if the river is running low or anything no. like that. The river is still high. We have saturated soils uh, that we know across the upper Midwest, um, Nebraska, the Dakotas. Uh, along the Missouri River Basin, essentially. How did the um, mountain snowpack right. do compared to maybe last year? You know, I think it's very similar to okay. last year. Uh, this time last year, I think it was slightly above normal. That's what it looks like now. The, the last data I have, it was around 105, 106% of normal. Uh, if people remember the 2011 year, they had a lot of above normal snowpack in the mountains that year. It's running quite a bit lower than, than that year. Okay. So the ingredients are there, but they're, they're different, I guess you could say, ingredients. And would it be fair to say that whatever happens this particular spring, maybe summer, who knows, uh, maybe more, I'm trying to find the right phrase for this, maybe more, uh, weather slash storm related yeah, it's gonna as be opposed to having all these antecedent ingredients that have been in place it's going to be more convectively driven storms mm -hmm. now we will still have to watch that snowpack across the eastern dakotas if if that melted very quickly with heavy rain on top of it we would see flooding along the missouri river down here it probably wouldn't be the magnitude of what we had last year, but that could, you know, start us off with some flooding here early in the spring. I think what's what's most concerning right now is all the moist soils over such a large area. So if if we get even normal rainfall, we'll have flooding along the Missouri River. But if we have a lot of above normal rainfall, that could, you know, creep stages up into more significant levels. When you have such saturated soils up across uh, areas, especially north and west of here, how long, let's just, in this weather fantasy world, the, the precip shuts off, how long does that take to, to work itself out of the system, if you will? I think from the Sioux Cities area mm -hmm. maybe a little bit further north than that i think it's around five days 
once you get further north, I'm not sure because mm-hmm. they have so many dams that control everything. But if you're if you're around Gavin's Point down to down to Sioux City, five or six days. Gotcha. And would you need? Do you think you would need like a, a month of dryness or or how? You know, that's a good question. I th- because I, actually I've, what's been going on up there for the last few weeks isn't a lot. Um, you know, it's been, I don't want to say totally dry, but it's been a lot drier. I think what we really need is some warm, dry conditions because, you know, it's been above normal mm-hmm. up there. But above normal can still be pretty cold, cold up yeah. there. So if we could if we could get into March and April get some warm up and you know a little drier conditions that would improve things interesting um i want to talk about the the levee situation and there are still uh, so many breaks and damaged levees uh, locally closer to us when you're trying to figure out what's going to happen in the spring how does that play a role in trying to figure out the flooding scenario closer to home it does make it more difficult. Uh, the River Forecast Center does run three-month forecasts that just kind of gives us percentages, gives us probabilities of what may happen. And that's, that's causing some difficulty just knowing how to adjust for that because normally river models forecast flow. They don't forecast stage. So when that water leaves the main part of the channel and goes into the floodplain, you're losing that flow, and you have to account for that in the model. And it's almost like the water's playing hide-and-seek. You, <laughs> you, you're not sure where it's leaving. You're not sure where it's coming back. Um, but they've tried to estimate for some of that in these forecasts. But e- even with that, that estimate, it, it's a 70 to 90% chance of minor flooding. You know, not in the immediate Kansas City area because they've got – there's more protection mm-hmm. in the Kansas City area, but – if you're looking Leavenworth upstream, all the way like north of Rulo, Brownville, you're looking at 70 to 90 percent, and then downstream of Kansas City, that area looks like it's in the 90 percent chance of at least minor flooding this year. Would it be fair to say that virtually almost every year we have minor flooding? I mean, we had the drought in 2012. I don't think that was a big issue, um, but it seems like every year. Yeah. Because of drainage, not we, not every year does the Missouri flood, but you know, once every two or three years. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes we get in a, in a stretch where it's every year. the The tributaries are what usually floods the the smaller rivers and streams. We have some of those that I can't remember a year where they when they, <laughs> they have a flood in the spring. Right? Yeah, how this might be out of your scope, but man, I'm looking for advice. Uh, I mentioned I I find talking about flooding very challenging. And I find communicating it to our viewers very challenging. Because I don't think, I I know that when you do your job well, you're forecasting river heights, essentially flows, uh, river heights especially, to the inch, give or take. That 
those numbers might be important to, I'm assuming, emergency managers? Emergency managers, I mean, people who have their businesses along the river, farmers, they all know what those numbers mean to them. Mm-hmm. But I can see like people that aren't from around here or just driving through, They, I can see how that would be a challenge to, to know so what, what that you, means. What would you recommend? Would you recommend me talking to our viewers about those specific numbers? Or what I, what I did last year was I wasn't necessarily talking to them about specific numbers. I was talking to them more about uh, how I used your forecast to predict, okay, so uh, let's say on Tuesday the river is at X stay, at X height. And then what I would say is on Thursday the river is going to be six inches higher mm-hmm. or 12 inches, whatever your forecast was uh, – what we were getting off your forecast. Is that a better way of communicating? This is my challenge. I'm trying to figure out the best way of communicating river flood information. I think the challenge on our end for river flooding and flash flooding is getting people to not drive into it. Well, yeah. Because um, I think what, you, what you're doing is fine with, with the river flooding, I mean, most people that have interests along there, they're going to see the forecast you show or get it off our mm-hmm. webpage. They're going to know what to do. I mean, it's it's kind of a, the impacts are static, so you're not really driving through. It's not a right. flash flood. You're right. it's moving that you're driving through. So, I mean, I would communicate just stay away from that right. area. I mean, if you've got a building that's going to be flooded, I think they're already they're already going to know that that they're they need to sandbag or they need to move stuff mm-hmm. to higher floors. Um, but yeah, the the fr- the frustration that we have is, you know, we can have a good flash flood warning out, plenty of lead time, but who hears it? Right. Or if they do hear about it, or they, that's uh, not that's not too deep i'll just go through it they can't tell that the water the road's been washed out and then you've got a big problem so we we've spent a lot of the previous podcast and a lot of this podcast on river flooding we should probably tail back around to flash flooding Mm -hmm. which is uh for, for the vast majority of western missouri and eastern kansas uh would be fair to say that's probably the bigger Issue? I would say maybe not in terms I, of the the. I would say dan- danger the more to dangerous life. Dangerous issue, to, yes. to lives would be flash flooding. Yeah. I would say monetarily, the river flooding is a lot worse. Much worse. Yeah. Um, this area is is prone, known, and renowned for flash flood mm-hmm. events. Uh, I remember the 1998 event, that October of 98 event during the football game. Um, that that sadly killed, you know, more than a few people down towards Country Club Plaza. There have been a lot of um, improvements, I guess you could say, in how we contain flash flooding uh, within the city of Kansas City. Um, I think, you know, we still have our little issue down here at the bottom of Signal Hill. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it, it always floods. Uh, but Turkey Creek 
it seems like has gotten yeah the improvements yeah. It, it it would take a lot more rain to get right. that to flood now when we look back at what happened uh, a few years ago uh, down towards um, what was it Indian Creek down towards 435 mm-hmm. um, you know this is a challenge for me because would it be fair to say in your estimation if that whole 435 concrete mess that's down there didn't exist would the flooding be as bad because i'm i'm fascinated by how uh humans how man has altered our terrain with cement um roads pavement whatever uh and how that has changed i think i think that event you probably still would have had flooding but I'm sure the amount of the amount of develop, development in that area. That's one of the more urbanized basins in our area. It it's sure to contribute a lot more flow due to, you know, it can't soak into the ground, so it's just going straight into the off. channel. It's got to go somewhere. Do your models take that into account? The urbanization of certain areas. They do for for those locations. We actually have a different model than the River Forecast Center uses. They help us develop it but we actually run it and issue the warnings off of it. And they've kind of gone through for us and figured out, uh, they've looked at the characteristics of the basin and, and how runoff behaves, and it does take it into account. And for this area, when we see a flash flood around here, um, that is not typically caused by uh, the scenario that unfolded last spring with the persistent rains and the bomb cyclone and stuff like that, most of our flash flooding is connected to convection. It is. Yeah. And what I've noticed in the Kansas City area is when we get our bigger flash floods, it's usually two events that are close together. Some of these bigger ones, you've had maybe some storms go across the morning before or the night before, and then you get training storms across the same area the next night and kind of the fir- that first event's kind of the primer and then that second event triggers it off and most of the deaths in flash flooding are caused by oh that it's almost exclusively driving into driving it. into it and this is an issue that you know we've seen you know we'll have a reporter out by whatever area you know that's got a raging stream of water and we'll see in the background you know cars just driving around Mm -hmm. the barricades it's a very frustrating thing and and i think is there a way that we could convince people it really it's a it's hard it's hard yeah i mean i do like there's some areas that have have the signs that say you know impassable during high water but then it also has a little staff gate, like a, a ruler oh. on it that shows how deep the water is. So if somebody could actually see, see. that, then they that may be something to stop mm-hmm. them. But, or they may read it and say, ah, I can do that. I've got I've my got big my, pickup yeah, truck. I've got my SUV. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a challenge, and uh, I don't think that aspect of things is going to change. So uh, we've been visiting with Scott Watson. We talked about in our previous podcast uh, the setup for last year's devastating flooding. We've talked to this podcast about uh, what could happen this year, barring a uh, nice, long, dry spell in March and April with warm temperatures. 
across the upper Midwest. Is that uh, probably the best way, the easiest way of avoiding the worst of maybe something not to the extent of last year, but something that's going to be problematic? Yeah, if we could get a couple of months of below normal rainfall mm-hmm. and some warm temperatures, that would go a long way to to at least, you know, taking the edge off of, of the flooding that will likely occur later this year. All right, Scott, with that, we'll, we'll close this particular podcast. Scott Watson from the National Weather Service, thank you. Uh, for coming on by. Thank, thanks for having me. It was not too painful. It was not. Good. See, <laughs> I, I had a feeling you would be just fine. He's a fellow Billikens, so I've got all my faith in the world in the St. Louis University Billikens. Uh, thanks again for listening to this edition of Joe's Weather World. We'll keep an eye on the rain situation as we head towards April, May, and June. That is severe weather season, and you can get some pretty nasty flooding around this part of the country. Hopefully, we'll try to avoid it this year, but odds are we'll be talking about some flooding along the Missouri River Basin at some point over the next couple of months. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you again real soon.